Psalm 30, I'd like to read to you and this Psalm, Psalm 30, and even as I read, just remember uh, to look for the two stanzas that's actually in Psalm 30. Uh, this is 1 to 5, and then 6 to the end, all right? There are actually... 1 to 5 give us an overview of David's story, while 6 to 12 actually give you or elaborates a little bit more of that very story with his insights, all right? So basically, they are, there is a repetition in there, but nonetheless, it is very, um, the last part is very informative for us, and it helps us in understanding this psalm altogether. Let us, let us take uh, a note of the Note of that as we read it. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, this, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the, death, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. And you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's the word that endures forever, God's word. Let us, let us pray. Come. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, this morning as we open up this psalm, uh, we think, O oh Lord, of the song that David has sang and that and it was put into, even compiled into the Psalter for us to come and use it in times of worship like this. And Father, we ask that even as this word, your word, is opened up, we pray that even as this is spoken in the weakness of human flesh, we pray, O oh Lord our God, that you will, by your spirit, apply it to our hearts that, O oh Lord, that we may find grace, comfort, and inspiration of, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 30, the Psalm of David. And boys and girls, why do you think our moms and dad insist on us saying thank you when a favor is done to us. And if you say, of course, that it is to teach us to be polite, you're right. 
However, I think there is more. Think for a moment with me. Why do we complain? Whine away or throw out tantrums when we don't get what we want? Is it not because we feel our parents or the world around us owe us and because we deserve what we want? So, when we get something or a favour is done to us, we find thank you really unnecessary. But that's not all. The trouble is, it hides and beneath it all there is a very troubling attitude and spirit. We become unappreciative of others. We take others for granted. Ungrateful hearts are so full of self we see grace and we see favours as what is owed to us. And so we take from others, we receive from others without acknowledging the owner or the giver. David learned the hard way how unthankfulness is spiritual suicide. In Psalm 30, he shared how he was delivered from unthankfulness and by God's grace made thankfulness his life's calling. David was so much like us, really. And if we see in David our Jesus, as so many of our Psalms do, they are reflective of that, then we can understand why the writer of the Hebrews says that the Lord does empathize with us, even in all our very difficult moments. He understands us. The Song of Thanksgiving here describes David's near-death experience. And then he goes along, you know, in his poetic form. And, and, and as we read it, you can see that really is a beautiful written poem. <clears throat> and then he goes on, describe the cause of that near-death experience, his plea for deliverance, and then the very reversal of those very troubling circumstances. And finally, his response. His response to thank God forever. And let's begin now and discover how David nearly died. Like most Psalms, Psalm 30 doesn't or didn't specify a particular event that has caused this near-death experience. But the images used do suggest David nearly died. In verse 9, you, he talks about that. Isn't it? If you turn your Bibles to verse 9 and you see that, what profit is there in my death? And that's particularly clear, isn't it? And he was really slipping dangerously down to the pit of what verse 3 says, sure. In the Old Testament time, Sheol was known as a holding place for the, the souls who have died and the souls that were waiting for final judgment. But of course, Luke pointed out that an unbridgeable gulf exists and separates the righteous from the wicked there. Nevertheless, David found himself in a near-death experience when he spoke about being drawn up. You know, like you are drawing water from a well, being drawn up or brought up from Sheol. 
A severe illness could be threatening his life. And you, the word of healing is used in verse 2. And then restored to life in verse 3 suggests this. Whatever it was, his trouble was public enough for his enemies to gloat or rejoice over should he die. That's in verse 1, isn't it? But spiritually as well, David was also dying. He was experiencing God's absence and God was angry with him. And so much so, his nights are filled with tears and mourning. He was downcast. He was depressed. His physical illness was symptomatic of the spiritual darkness that is in him. And in that darkness, David was terrified. And he was perplexed, confounded. At the end of verse 7, the reason is made clear. Why is he in such a state? God has hid his face from him and he was in fear. But why? Why was David in such a dark place, in danger of losing his soul? And again, he speaks of that in verse 6. Verse 6 really gives us an idea. By the way, all the dark places we encounter in our lives are not necessarily the result of our fault. Well, at least not in any way that we can see it. But many a time, the trouble can be as a result of our sin or our fault. With David here, it was his fault and he owned it. David actually acknowledged that for a time he boasted of his prosperity. As for me, David said, in his prosperity, I shall never be moved. The success of his life and the success of his kingdom, which he ruled over, made him self-confident and self-sufficient. David's confession, I shall never be moved, or I made it, was really a misguided assessment of his prosperity and his well-being. In boasting, I shall never be moved. I shall never be moved. Is <clears throat> actually boasting like the wicked. The wicked who has no respect of God. In fact, if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 10 verse 6, the you will see that these same words are used by the wicked arrogantly. And they say this when they are prospering. I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. Those are the words of prosperous wicked. David slipped into a very false sense of security. He felt invincible. And he assumed even the boast of Nebuchadnezzar. Is this not the great kingdom of Israel that I have built by my mighty power for my glory? And that's what it means when he said, As for me, <clears throat> I shall never be moved, immovable. See, when things were going well, David allowed his success to go to his head. 
and wealth and ease can make us drunk. And as a result, David fell into what we today call a cardiac arrest. And the Lord had to resuscitate him with CPR. You see, when we live as if our strength and not God's favor is our security, we live in danger of losing our souls. And we can quite easily do that. And we can be misguided by our prosperity and ease to become self-sufficient. And so he had to be revived by his father's discipline. Well, well, some people would not think that this is a case of divine discipline. But nonetheless, the psalm clearly indicates that David's sense of self-sufficiency was followed by God hiding his face and causing terror in the psalmist's spirit. And this is actually the effect of God's anger. So even though David might have felt he was done with God now that he was immovable, he was invincible, divine discipline is God saying, I am not true with you yet. It is the father's love of bringing a straying child, a self-sufficient child, a self-reliant child back to himself. And of course, C.S. Lewis has this to say. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our work, but he shouts at us in our pain. In the life of every Christian, there are times when we see no need of God and we choose to rely on ourselves. And then the Lord has to shout loud and sometimes perhaps very, very loud and very long to keep us awake lest they drift into a sleep of death. I'm sure you have seen some of these documentaries and all that when someone is really, really critically ill or being shot and they are kind of lapsing into the sleep of death and then they will say, hey, stay with me, stay with me. Speak to me. Because the moment, the moment they close the eyes, they will lapse into death. Stay with me. You see, the kingdom of God works like some kind of seeds that I I, I use. Some of these seeds to germinate they have to be subjected to near freezing temperatures. And then they have to be what we call scarified. That means their seed coat has to be lacerated, cut. And then, then it will be in a condition to germinate. Imagine if an insecure seed, imagine, huh, gets upset every time it is harshly treated by me. What if the seed said, I'm so tired of being badly treated. If you love me, you wouldn't make me go through such tough conditions. But what the seed does not understand is simply this, that it is only useful when it goes through such a tough regime. 
the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6. And so in bringing up his sheep, God does not spare his sheep from hardship and discipline. But at the same time, at the same time, the Lord does not leave them there, but he will deliver them. He will deliver them. And so how was David delivered from his trouble? David cried to the Lord. He called the Lord, my God. And we hear that a number of times there, my God. He claimed his special relationship with the Lord as the Lord's anointed. Because he held God to his promise. And actually, when you have read through the Psalms in its traditional, in its traditional realm, God always answers when he's called upon. To the psalmist, God was not a detached, not an unfeeling deity, but one who is personally and emotionally involved in his people's lives. David was mourning in sackcloth because of his sin and wailing in remorse and repentance even as he cried to the Lord. Despite God turning his back on him, David still believed in the Lord and he still knows that the Lord was yet present with him to hear his cry. Dear ones, weak faith is still faith. And he cried and he used the word hear. Hear. And here was an appeal for God to respond favorable, favorably to his prayer. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Now that's a cry of repentance. It was the only way for divine discipline to be removed. It was a plea for divine favor, even though he did not deserve it. And be my helper, he asked. And that's an ask for grace to do for him what he could not do for himself. But I think beyond this request, beyond that, those, that cry, that plea for God to deliver him, we also see and sometimes we miss this very often in our prayers. We also see the psalmist's active and re realistic faith that doesn't simply accept circumstances as God's will. And why do I say that? Because here we see the psalmist. He is reasoning and he's arguing his case for deliverance on the account of God's promises. You see, the psalmist believed that God can be moved by reasoning and argument to bridge that gap between what God has promised and what we exper experience in reality. And this comes out in the, the rhetorical questions that is in verse 9. What profit is there in my death if I go to the pit? He calls to the Lord. Will the dust praise you? When we die, of course, we, we become dust. Will the dust tell you of your faithfulness? The point is there is nothing to be gained by his death. 
even his death were the result of punishment for sin, how would God benefit from that? David is humbly reasoning and sincerely arguing with God. We don't often do that. But you can see where the psalmist is coming from. Because he knows and he takes seriously God's promises. Seriously enough for him to reason with God. And I, I think sometimes we don't do that. Is we don't claim God's promise seriously enough. That we would argue our case on the basis of God's promise. God is faithful and his promise will be fulfilled. The psalmist dying would speak poorly of God's faithfulness. So his appeal to God is essentially this. You will gain nothing if I die. And who are the only people who will rejoice? The enemies. On the flip side, if God delivers him from dying, then he would have every reason to tell everyone of God's faithfulness. David's argument is very simple but yet very powerful. If, if God wants people to hear about his faithfulness, then he must come to David's rescue and show himself faithful. So David gave God every reason to answer his prayer, his repentance, as well as God's gain and profit. The Lord answered David's prayer. And you find that in verses 11 to 12. Beautiful. In fact, the whole psalm is a report of that answer to his prayer. David began and he ended his song of thanksgiving with thanks. He began by proclaiming that God had rescued him from dying. The Lord has lifted him up from the pit, healed him, restored him to life, dried his tears and loosened his sackcloth. In short, God removed the affliction that was causing him grief and restored him to health. Favor had replaced anger and the joy of the morning had replaced the weeping of the night. Dancing replaced wailing and clothes of joy replaced mourning clothes. Health had replaced sickness. Dependence on God had replaced self-confidence. God is back in his life. And the dark circumstances, the gloomy nights have been reversed. The night is past and daybreak is here. Dear ones, have you ever enjoyed a beautiful sunrise by the sea and with the cool sea breeze stroking your face? And this is it. This is it. When daybreak comes, it's like a breath of fresh air that un unleash your choked lungs. And David just burst up in praise. I will extol you. Dear ones, if you are in a season where God's face seems hidden, don't take that as God's final word to you. And often we do. 
often we get so sad, so down, we just, we just give up. In Christ, this is never his final word. And when our mountain does crumble, God has eternal purposes for it. And it's just not only for heads. It has to seep down into our hearts. He tests us so that he can reveal who we really are to ourselves, even as he purifies us for his final favor. Weeping, dear ones, does not have the last word for those who are God's people. But joy comes with the morning. Night is not day. And so sorrow and joy are not just opposite sides of the coin. Sackcloth will always serve gladness. God takes our mourning and turns it into dance. And that's the final word. It is never the other way around for us as the people of God. God removes the garment of our weeping and he clothes us with joy. Didn't Jesus tell us that? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, verse 4. But how can we be sure of that? That mourning will come, rescue will come, relief will come, joy will sound the final note, no matter what our present trouble or distress is. How can we be sure of that? We can be, because we are God's children. And we can say that over and over again. Why? Simply this. And I think you know it. But let me link it. Because David's great turnaround was because of an even greater turnaround that David's greatest son, Jesus, experienced. David's recount of his near-death experience is reflective of what the Son of God went through. Because of our sins that were transferred to him, Jesus experienced the ultimate absence of God when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, Jesus slipped into the very pit of death when he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. But God reversed those circumstances on the third day, if you remember. And the daybreak of one Sunday morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. By God's favor, we are united to Christ and will experience this same reversal from death to life. Joy for us will come with the morning. Weeping and sorrow will not be the last word for us. And dear ones, once you see that in the book of Psalms, and that's why it's such a beautiful book when it comes to devotion. When you see the picture of life of Christ in there, and you can at the same time mirror your own life there. 
You may be suffering right now in one way or another, but weeping only remains for the night. Joy comes in the morning. Suffering will always give way to us as the people of God, glory. But there's two other points I think I, I need to make. Firstly, like David, we can enjoy a foretaste of that reversal, that turn around now. God has entered your lives here and now as the people of God. And because he has entered, he can bring that heaven to earth where you need it. You know, we return to Psalm 27. And David writes, Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in heaven. Is it what it says? No. In the land of the living. So let's hold fast to that hope. Let's trust we will experience absolute reversal of all the lives of sin and misery in our own resurrection from the dead. God's favor and joy is both now and ever. It's for a lifetime. And the key and the door, the gateway to that, as you shall see, is thankfulness. The second, the Lord's affliction is for a moment. It will pass like the night. Morning must come. Some of us I know are going through prolonged sickness and struggles individually. And even us, together as a church, we are going through hard times. And dear ones, struggles are never easy. And sometimes we don't have words to say about it. You know, I've come to a point in my life where, you know, when I was younger, I used to, you know, read Sproul's 1,000 questions and answers or something and always find an answer for some of the troubles that affect us or me in particular. But as I grow older, I find that there's no answer to some of the things. When people ask me, I'd rather be quiet because I really don't have an answer to some of the troubles that plague us in our families, in our homes, with our loved ones, in our own personal lives. Why are there so much affliction? So painful, so sad. Struggles are never easy. Nevertheless, God will not test you more than necessary or more than you can take. The parent's heart here is in the picture, the father. So even as they know it is necessary to discipline, they are always watching at the corner of their eyes that it is not going to go out of hand. Therefore, dear ones, hang in there. Here is where I want you to hope. I want you to trust. Glory awaits us. Don't let go. Hang on. And hang on is more than just sitting still and doing nothing. Like hanging by our fingertips, it requires strength to hang on. To cling on, tenacity, perseverance. 
and so that we can wait for the time to be lifted up. And we will be lifted up. If it's getting really bad, listen to what the apostle had to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. David acknowledged that the Lord's discipline is brief, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So David was wonderfully and fearfully delivered from near death. So we can see why David gave thanks to God. But what was it just a, a, a thank you and that's it? No, David extolled. He exalted God for lifting him up. David's thanks was more. It was all wrapped up in praising and exalting the Lord. I will extol you, O Lord, he said. To extol or to exalt is to make God first and supreme in all our thoughts and affections. He would do what he could to make him known. He would lift him up high in his praises. David saw that the ultimate purpose of his deliverance was for the praise of God. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Verse 11. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So, so that, or to the end, read that, my glory, glory means my spirit or my whole being, might sing the praises to you and not be silent. That's the purpose behind that too, isn't it? When people are restored from their troubles, no matter what the reason for the difficulty was, their lives become devoted to the praise of God out of gratitude, and out of the love of the deliverer. Yes, David cannot be silent. David was compelled to give thanks to him. He was constrained to give thanks. He acknowledged that God delivered him not only so that he would thank him, but thank him forever. Forever. Now thanksgiving becomes to him the whole of his life, his calling. It is just, just not thank you just for one deliverance and then forget all about it. But just as God's favor is for a lifetime, so should be our thanksgiving. We should always, dear ones, be a thankful people lifelong because we have been lifted up yesterday and we will be lifted up today and we will be lifted up forever be it because of our sin or otherwise. So David saw it not only as a personal response too, you know, and you see that uh, in verse uh, 4, in verse 4, isn't it? He called upon all the rest to sing with him. He encouraged others 
In other words, as a community, as a congregation of God's people to sing praises and give thanks to the Lord. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And here's the thing about the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are more than just private testimonies of individual psalmists in a particular situation of their life. The psalmist, at the end of the day, is, serves really to lead us, to lead us as God's people privately or communally to worship and to praise God. And that's what it does. They are ultimately models to guide us how we are to express our worship in times when things go well. We call those hymns, we call those psalms hymns. In bad times, we call those laments. And in this case, thanksgiving. When things turn around for the better. So, how are we engaging in worship in our entire life? How do we see our entire life of worship? Is it based in thanksgiving? You see, when we appreciate God's favor and that His favor overshadows our affliction yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we are always compelled to give thanks and praise to Him forever. Compelled constrained and we will not remain silent in one and another we will burst out with praise lifelong and therefore let me conclude I just want to conclude with these few points one we can frequently become self-sufficient we can easily lapse into that especially us in our situation where we are so blessed with physical abundance, with ease, with affluence, with peace. We can take all those things for granted and think that we have it because we are so able. This country is so gifted. And then we lapse into becoming a self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-absorbed people. And until then, God has to wake us up with a thunderclap. But in the midst of our affliction, we are to hang on. Because weeping may just stay for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Our affliction is for a moment. Our affliction is it's hard to put our heads around that, isn't it, when we are suffering? You know, when I was going through some of this and, and, and I read the verse that Paul wrote, and I asked, momentary? What does momentary mean? Is it for a while? Short while? How short is short? Psalmist and Paul are quite clear. It's short compared to, to all the blessings that is to come. God delivers us from trouble so that we might give thanks and praise to Him forever. 
It is not that God needs our praise. It is because worship filled with praise and thanksgiving is edifying for us. It builds us up. It is the it undergirds a healthy Christian life, thankfulness. Give thanks in all circumstances. Apostle Paul reminds us again in First Thessalonians five eighteen. For he says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, thanksgiving sometimes if you look and then uh, just reference it, 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 is, it runs right through our Bible in one form or another. And so let me end with this legend or fable. There was a man who found the barn it's a fable, huh? It's a fable. There was a man who found a barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown in the human heart. And so on finding that the seeds of discouragement are more numerous than all the other types of seeds, this man asked this question, you know, because Satan also revealed to him that Seeds of discouragement are so prevalent that they can grow anywhere. But when Satan was questioned anywhere, Satan confessed that, admitted that there is one place in which he could never get them to thrive or to germinate the seeds of discouragement. And where is that? That man asked, where is that? And Satan replied sadly, in the heart of a thankful man. Thankfulness leaves no room for discussion, a discouragement. Okay, let us pray. But before we pray, I'm told that we should have the collection first. All right, so if an abrupt break, but nonetheless, but... Uh, uh, we, this week, are starting collection with the uh, uh, hand collection, right? So you have two bags there. One is blue and one is red. So the blue one uh, is for a gift, special gift uh, to Cambodia, right? Cambodia. And the other one is the regular offering, all right? So I will ask uh, uh, Xavier and... JJ, to, to come and do the collection. Uh, you take one each, I guess. Yeah. And then I shall pray. I hope you have been told well in advance. Yeah? Last week there was an announcement. So. Uh, the, the, the special gift is for the special wall that that uh, the church in Phnom Penh wants to build or is half built. Uh, that reminds me like the wall, you know, the wall of the second temple. If you miss it, you can give again.
Next week, right? Next week will be the same thing, right? Yeah. Come. Let's prepare our hearts to pray, and then after that we will uh, recite the Lord's Prayer as well as the, the Apostle Creed. And when we get to the Apostle Creed, just remember that part that speaks about the resurrection. And remember, and remember also Psalm 30 with regard to the resurrection.